Well, good morning, everyone. Who was that? That was fantastic. Thank you. Well, good morning to everybody who is able to join us in person this morning. I want to say a special word of welcome to those who are watching us online. We had a bit of a hiccup with the online service this morning as our Wi-Fi network decided for some reason to go down. But we're back, and so thank you for hanging in there. For those of, uh, those of you who watched that little spinny thing go around and around, as are you saying, how come the service isn't starting? I just see the spinny thing. Well, we're back. Hopefully the spinny thing is not happening right now. But thank you for joining us together this morning, and thank you to the worship team for leading us so well. Um, and to be reflecting on God's goodness and God's presence in our lives. I trust that that was meaningful for you this morming. I would invite you to Im- imagine that for some reason, I don't know how, why this would happen, but for some reason, you got an email that wasn't for you. It was a transcript of an email that I wrote to my dad this week, and that for some reason, you got that and you decided to read it right through. Now, you know, some of you are like, well, interesting, I wonder what's in this. Well, if you were to do that, you probably would, for the most part, be able to understand most of the things that were said in that email. It would make sense. It's going to be, it's going to be in English. It's the, we both live in southwestern Ontario. Like, there's going to be enough things in common that you can make sense of what's hap- happening there. But you might find some things a little bit confusing. For example, it might seem kind of random to you that I share an article about how to grow uh, zucchini, and I thought it was really important that he know that he got this article about how to, sh- how to grow zucchini, and you might not really quite understand the significance of what was shared about the changes in policy at a long-term care facility in Hamilton. You, you, you might not quite grasp that the same way that we would. And the fact is that, that my email to my dad assumes a few things, right? It assumes that I'm familiar with him and his circumstances and that he is familiar with me and my circumstances. It assumes that we have some things in common, like we both care about how to grow zucchini, apparently. It assumes that we've had previous conversations and that our relationship extends beyond the particularities of this one email. And, uh, and because of this, you might not understand everything that's included in this email. In fact, you might find yourself wondering, you know, as you read it, you know, why didn't they talk about other things? You know, they talked about zucchini a whole lot, but why didn't they talk about that other recent world event that is really important? Do they not care about that? Do they care about zucchini more than another shooting somewhere? Do they, like, and of, of course not. We just, the, the conversation just happened to go that way. If you were to read my email, my, my hope would be that you would, you would understand that this letter was not written to you. There might be things that you might find interesting, or there might be things that you might even learn, like about growing the zucchini, but those benefits would come not because this letter was written to you with the particularities of your context and your circumstances in mind, but those benefits would come because, this, because you recognize that there's wisdom there that you can draw from. There's things that connect with your life because you are identify, able to identify ideas and thoughts that apply beyond the immediate circumstances that led to that correspondence. Well, we're in a sermon series where we're working our way through a letter. We're working our way through the letter of 1 Peter. And as we read this letter, we ought to keep in mind that in a very real way, we're reading somebody else's mail here. It wasn't written to you. It wasn't written to me specifically. But what happened is over the first few generations of of the Christian churches, they recognized that the Holy Spirit was using this letter to speak in some pretty powerful and life-changing ways. And so they held tight to it, and they kept it, and it became a part of our Bible. 
Now, as modern readers, we too are paying attention to how the Holy Spirit is speaking as we read through the words of Scripture, as we read through the letter of 1 Peter. We're paying attention to how God might be speaking to us as we are reading somebody else's mail. And a part of this process is to look at what's being said within the context of a particular time, a particular place, and a particular people, and then to draw out principles that might apply to our lives today. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're going to be doing in our, in our, our teaching time this morning. Now, by way of a reminder, 1 Peter is a letter written to Christians living in the first century. They're living under uh, Roman rule in what is now modern-day Turkey. And these folks were the minority in, their, in the societies in which they lived. And there were other people who were watching them, who were looking at them, trying to practice their faith. And they were looking at these Christians with suspicion, and even at times uh, really working to make their lives difficult because they were, follow, they were trying to practice their faith. And so to these folks, Peter has been telling them about why they can be people of hope whose, whose identity and purposes are shaped by Jesus. And in our passage today, Peter begins to unpack every, how everything he has talked about so far can apply to some very uh, key relationships. Now, the passage we're going to look at this morning, I need to kind of get this out there. There's a lot in it. It's a long passage, okay? And you, are, no doubt, are going to be like, how come we didn't talk about this? Because as we read about it, there's going to be a laundry list of items that are just going to be loose ends, okay? Actually, one of the things that I have a few people in the church that I, I regularly reach out to, and I say, hey, how did that sermon go? And one of the questions I ask all the time is, what are the loose ends? And there's always loose ends. There's always things that we don't get to. And this morning... There's going to be lots of loose ends, I'll tell you that. But our aim this morning will be to draw out the principles that can apply to our lives that come from this text. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring this morning is that all of our relationships are opportunities to point people to Jesus. All of our relationships are opportunities to point people to Jesus. And so to begin, we're going to start by reading uh, two verses from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And then we're going to stop, talk a little bit, and then we're going to read the rest of it. And then that's where all the loose ends will begin. I'll start verse, verse 11. I know, now you're all intrigued. Eh? What are the loose ends? Ooh, you'll make a list, I trust me. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul, wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Yeah, we'll just stop there for right now. You know, for centuries, the people of Israel had, learned, had to learn how to live out their faith while being ruled by non-Jews, and they called the non-Jews pagans. And these pagans were people who didn't care about their faith and either mocked them for the practice of their faith, or they actively tried to disrupt the patterns of how they would practice their faith. And this experience is called exile, and Peter uses this term to describe what the Christians he is writing to are experiencing. See, because of Jesus, they are people living in a culture that is not their own. And because of Jesus, they have beliefs and practices that are different than the culture around them. And Peter wants to help them know how to navigate what does it mean to be a person of faith living in this reality. Now, in these verses, he, he begins by saying that followers of Jesus are to abstain from sinful desires. Now, the ancient world tended to assume that, that the more you could indulge yourself, the better. Particularly when it came to things like food and drink and sex, the more, the better. 
Now, Peter's not saying that there's anything wrong in and of themselves with these things, but he knows the human tendency is to give power to our appetites and in ways that can lead us to unhealthy and unhealthy places and lead to self-destructive tendencies. He knows this about people. And so self-control is key. And followers of Jesus are to engage life in relationship to these things differently than those people who don't know Jesus. Now, Peter also knows that being different can easily lead to being criticized or, or having other people make life harder for us because we are different. And so in these verses, he wants his followers to make sure that there's no actual basis for, for pe- the people who are watching them to find fault with them. In fact, Peter is saying is that their lives ought to, be, uh, ought to make other people come to the conclusion that maybe the Christians know what life is really all about. That their good deeds would cause people to see God. And I think that this thought should help us under, helps us understand everything else that we're going to talk about this morning. The idea is they'll live such good lives among people who, among the folks who don't yet know Jesus, that even though they want to accuse us of doing what is wrong, that they can't find a good reason for actually making that accusation. And because of that, they end up seeing God instead. And everything else that we're going to read this morning flows out of that thought. All right, I want you for a moment here to imagine some of the different people that you interacted with this week. Just give yourself a moment to think about where you're at on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Who were some of the people that you interacted with this week? If we were people who went to school this week, we interacted with classmates and teachers, right? Or maybe we went to work this week and we interacted with coworkers and supervisors. Maybe we had a one-on-one with our boss that didn't go quite as we hoped it would go. Who knows? Your neighbors. Did you interact with your neighbors this week? This week on our street, we had uh, an incident, we'll say. I can tell you about that another time. But that meant that we got to interact with our neighbors in some rather unforeseen ways. It was interesting. Maybe you were the one who did groceries this week. And as you were out, did you interact with other customers or the staff? Maybe you had a medical appointment. And you sat down with somebody who's in charge of, of, of giving you directions for your care. The point is is that in any given week, we interact with many different people and in different capacities, don't we? Well, in the verses that we're about to read here, Peter names some of the categories of people that his readers will have interacted with. And it's not an exhaustive list. It doesn't give us every category, every group of people that they're going to interact with. But it it follows a pattern of teaching where guidance is given for common, uh, everyday relationships that people might have. And as we read this list in just a few moments, we should notice that there's a mismatch of power in these relationships. We're not talking about uh, relationships that are on the same level here. There's a mismatch. There's an imbalance. And what Peter is doing is he's suggesting how his readers can live within the reality of an imbalanced relationship. The reality is that most of Peter's audience seems to be people who have little influence and little power. These are people who don't have the option just to get up and and to go their own way if they don't like how they're being treated. And so on the one hand, we might see what Peter is writing here as a way uh, to help these folks kind of like not get into trouble unnecessarily. But I think that there's something else that we ought to consider. That within these relationships where there's an imbalance of power, that there's an opportunity to be subversive in a way that upsets the status quo 
and points people to Jesus. And if his readers will actually embrace this, the result is actually something that's quite empowering. And so let's keep that in mind as we continue reading our passage this morning, starting at verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you can endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they might be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see your purity and reverence in your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be uh, that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For, it is the way, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partners and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Couple loose ends, right? <laughs> the word submit gets, uh, gets used a bunch of times in this passage, and I'll go out on a limb and say that it isn't a term that we tend to like as modern readers because it, it, of how it has been used to demand things of other people. And let me say right now that a passage like this should never be used as a tool of manipulation to manipulate somebody to do what we want or to justify causing harm or to keep someone in a harmful situation. That would be a really wrong application of this passage. Submission is not something that can be demanded, but it must be freely given and is expressed in support, in humility, in service, in respect for another person. And I think that this is what Peter is getting at in this passage today. That we, in our various relationships, no matter how imbalanced they might be, that we, in our various relationships, can adopt a posture that is respectful, humble, and supportive. 
Now again, remember we are reading somebody else's mail here, okay? We are not first century Christians. We are not living under Roman uh, rule. We are not facing persecution for our faith, and we, uh, we are not in the same situations of powerlessness, or at least most of us aren't, that these early Christians were, uh, were experiencing. And so as we read this passage, we do need to take a step back and look for principles that can apply to our lives. And so this morning, as we kind of continue our teaching time, I'm going to outline four principles that I think we can draw from this that can apply to all of us this morning. And the first principle is that followers of Jesus are to be good citizens who are for their community. Followers of Jesus are to be good citizens who are for their community. You know, the first relationship that Peter talks about in this passage is that followers, is the relationship that followers of Jesus have with political authorities. And the accusation in Peter's day was that Christians were antisocial. And that they were ruining society. That was the story. That was the narrative that was out there. And part of this came from the fact that Christians understood that Jesus was their ultimate authority, not the emperor. And Peter says, well, yes, that's completely true. But let's not use that freedom in such a way that makes others look at us as if we are enemies of society. Instead, We can serve God by being the best citizens that we can possibly be. Be respectful. Do what is good for the community you're part of. And when you do this, you prove that that those things that people are saying about you aren't true. And they're going to have to take you seriously. You know, as followers of Jesus, I, I think that this applies to us this morning. You know, there's definitely things that those in in authority uh, do that we don't agree with. We don't necessarily agree with all the decisions that they make. And as people in this society, we have options available to us uh, to be a part of instituting or instigating change. We have those things available to us that were not a part of the structures in Peter's day. But our approach and our posture in this society is to not be perceived as being against it, or even running away and withdrawing from it, or to be disrespectful, uh, uh, you know, deeply disrespectful of the people that we don't agree with, but it's to lean in and to become the best citizens that we possibly can be as followers of Jesus. And not only is this a good thing for our community, but when we do this, it counters the narratives that are out there that, that, are, that circulate about Jesus and about his church. When we do this, we are countering those narratives. You know, one of the things that I've noticed over recent months is that our efforts over the past years, this is like decades now, our efforts to to be involved in, in, in doing good in our region and in our neighborhood are being noticed. And as a result, there are organizations that are looking to us even recently as partners who are invested in the well-being of this neighborhood. That's a good thing. That is a well-earned opportunity to counter the assumptions that people have about church, about what does it mean to follow Jesus. And just talk to your family and friends who aren't church people, who who are not a part, aren't following Jesus, and you can hear the stories, what they think about what it means to be a church community. We know that there's stories out there circulating. But what we have done over the years, what we will continue to do is to be involved in things that challenge those assumptions. And it invites people to think differently about Jesus and his church. And so being a good citizen matters. 
A second principle is that followers of Jesus are to respond to insult and injury in countercultural ways. Now, one of the things about this passage that makes us uncomfortable is that it talks about slavery, right? And what we wish Peter would say in this passage is slavery is bad, and this is what we're going to do to upend the whole system. We wish he would do this, and, and he doesn't. Because you know what? In the first century, that would have seemed inconceiv- it would have been inconceivable to think about society, to think about life without the presence of slaves. It just was impossible to think otherwise. Think for a moment about our dependence on fossil fuels and oil. Many folks today, we know them, are, know these, these stories, are, are pointing out that our dependence on these things is not good. That it's leading to bad places, both for our environment, it's causing harm to our environment, it's causing harm to people, it is not good. But, uh, but our dependence on, uh, on fossil fuels and, and oil is so woven into the fabric of who we are and just what we do about life that you can't just say we're done. Think about this. How would we, what, would we, what would we rely on for fuel? Most of our cars, most, most of our houses run off of fossil fuels and oil. What about the toys that our kids like to play with? Most of them are manufactured by the use of fossil fuels and oil. What about the technology that runs our lives? Again, same thing. It, it, it's, it's a great thing it, it, to say, hey, we need to change this. But it's really impractical to say, right now, it's done. We can't, we're, we're, it's over. We're just going to walk away from it. It's going to take years of innovation for us to think differently about life and to develop new technologies that, uh, for, uh, before change can happen and before this change can become widespread. And in the first century, that was slavery. doesn't make it right. It just explains the way that it is, the way that it was. And so it would have been really impractical for Peter to, to say some of the things that we want him to say as modern-day readers. And so he doesn't. In fact, Peter knows that slave revolts never ended well. It was always terrible. Now, as a quick aside, uh, despite the fact that we don't hear the word slavery is bad in the Bible, it is generally agreed that the Bible is pointing towards the abolition of slavery. And Peter right now is writing in a situation where the slaves are the followers of Jesus and masters are not, and so Peter speaks within that dynamic. Now, the Apostle Paul, as the Apostle Paul writes, he, he writes to a church where there are both slaves and masters sitting in the same church environment having communion together. And Paul, in that context, points a little bit more pointedly. He pushes the conversation towards equity in that relationship. Now, getting back to, to Peter, it would be really easy for somebody, some of the people who Peter's writing to to become bitter and to try to sabotage their master. But speaking to Christian slaves, Peter says, let your connection to God lead you in a different direction. And not just in your relationships with those kind, good masters, but even with those other ones, those ones who are, who are bitter and angry and are treating you harshly. And he points to Jesus and how Jesus was mistreated as a way of saying that you are not alone in your suffering, that Jesus understands your circumstances. Now, there's also something really subversive, I think, about what Peter's saying here. I mean, if they fought back, if they started a slave revolt, and if they sabotaged their masters, then society would look at their suffering and they'd say, yeah, they deserved it. But there's something about refusing to respond to harsh treatment in a tit-for-tat sort of way that exposes the injustice and the evil that's here and invites people to think differently. 
I'm reminded about what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and where he talks about going the extra mile. And what Jesus is, is getting at in this teaching is this radical turning of the tables where the person who's being mistreated and exploited becomes the person with power in that relationship. And that stands out as being different. You know, every day we see examples of, of, of people responding to hurt with more hurt, don't we? Or insult with insult. Or we see examples of, of, of creating enemies and justifying that. Well, Jesus and, and Peter here say, what if there's another way? And what if that other way does more to expose the evil and the injustice that's there? What if it does more to point people to Jesus and to the life of the kingdom? What if there's another way? Third principle is that followers of Jesus are to be known as people of character. Followers of Jesus are to be known as people of character. As we've mentioned, many of the early uh, converts to Christianity were people without power and status. And the first century was patriarchal, meaning that, that, that men were head of the household, and they were the ones who made the decisions for their family, and, and women were, were not valued as equals. But somehow... If you read this, somehow we realize that there were women who'd come to faith in Jesus on their own. That right there is a countercultural going against the status quo sort of thing. They made their own decision despite what their husband was doing. And now they were living, living as Christians with an unbelieving husband who had the power and the right to make their life hard if he wanted to. He had the power, she did not. Peter says the way that you live in this relationship matters and the way that you go about life in this relationship can actually win him over to Jesus, can actually point him to Jesus to the point that he, he, he will follow Jesus for himself. Now sometimes pe people read these words of, of Peter and they conclude that it should mean that women, you should not have nice hairstyles and you shouldn't dress nicely, there should be no jewelry. I think that's missing the point completely here. That what Peter is doing is he's putting the emphasis on the inner character of a person. Saying that it's the inner character, which the Holy Spirit, by the, by the way, is at work transforming to be more and more like Jesus. It's the inner character of a person that should be noticed. Because that is how somebody who is skeptical will actually see and encounter Jesus. You know, as followers of Jesus, the application at this point goes beyond gender. We live in a society that so often focuses on outward appearances, on things that, that come and go with trends, things that can be superficial. But what we yearn for, what all of us yearn for, what our neighbors yearn for is something transcendent and something real. People want to see the real life difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And what Peter is talking about here is allowing what is real and what is transforming us to come through and to become evident. And that doesn't happen quickly. That happens over time. Our character shows up over time in relationships as we are with people, as we go through things. And in those moments, our character comes to the surface. And so being a person of real, genuine character is what will get noticed and what will point people to Jesus. Last principle this morning is that followers of Jesus are to treat those under us with respect. You know, while the majority of the people that Peter are writing, is writing to uh, are in those lesser positions uh, in a given relationship, Peter ends his passage here speaking to husbands who are followers of Jesus. 
And again, this is a patriarchal society. And so we need to hear that what Peter is saying here is actually a fairly radical statement into this relationship, into the person with power in a particular relationship. And he points back to what he says to the women submitting to their husbands and being people of character. He points back to this as he says the words, in the same way. You know, as in saying, just like I, all that stuff I just talked about before, about being a person of character, or being, being, uh, being submitting, that applies to you, and now I'm going to add more to it. In the same way, treat your spouse with respect. And society says you don't have to and that she's the weaker partner, but Jesus is pointing you to a new way. Be considerate. Be, treat her as an equal partner. And then he adds this thing about how nothing will hinder their prayers. When you do this, nothing will hinder your prayers. And there's this interesting connection here for us to think about, about how there's a connection between our treatment of other people and our spiritual lives. That as we learn to treat other people with respect and love and honoring them and, and raising them up, that we learn and we discover something about who God is and what's important to God and what is close to his heart in ways that brings new life to us. Conversely, the poor treatment of others acts as a barrier to us actually knowing God and experiencing God. You know, as followers of Jesus, the society that we live in already promotes equality between men and women, and that's amazing. That's the Jesus way. But there are other relationships that we might have where we are the person of power in a, in a particular relationship. We are a person of authority, perhaps. And how we treat the people under us, whether we are a supervisor or whether we are a parent or otherwise, how we, how we treat the people under us matters. And we aren't to take our cues from a society that says it's okay to lord our privilege, it's okay to, 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 to use our power to get our own way. Rather, we are to be known for making other people's lives better, to act in such a way that levels the playing field. And when we do this, when we engage this way of life, we will find that our spiritual life blossoms into something new and something wonderful. Folks, Peter wants us to understand that if we follow Jesus, then our relationships with others can and should be different. Even those relationships, maybe especially those relationships that they're complicated. Let's admit it, they are complicated. See, because we've experienced Jesus, because we've experienced his radical love and his radical grace, because he is at work in us through the Holy Spirit, making us into new, transformed people, what matters is no longer our ego or our pride or maintaining our status or holding tight to our privileges and our opinions and our power. Rather, because of Jesus, we can set those things aside. And we can be looking for how we can be for others and for the opportunities that we have to live out our purpose in pointing other people to Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are and what you are doing in our lives. Lord, you indeed are who transforms us. Our minds, our hearts, our emotions, Lord. And Lord, this morning as we, as we pray, we acknowledge that we don't always think about our relationships very well. You know, we think in terms of animosity, we think in terms of power, we think in terms of grudges, we think in terms about getting our own way, exercising our rights, Lord. And yet, God, you call us in a new direction. You call us into a direction that is countercultural, perhaps counterintuitive, 
And Lord, this morning we come before you and we say, we've heard this, Lord. We've heard your teaching from, from what Peter said to us, and we ask that you would do a work inside of us, Lord, to help us to become more like you. Lord, indeed, the life that Peter is describing is actually a life that is increasingly marked by Jesus and by his love and his service. God, would you help us today, would you help us this week to just take a step where we become more like Jesus in our relationships, especially in those ones where things are complicated? Lord, in those moments where we are tempted to hold a grudge, would you help us to be people who explore what forgiveness looks like? In those moments where we are tempted to get even, would you remind us that there are other options? Lord, in those moments that are hard in our relationships with our spouses, with our partners, with our kids, with our parents, Lord, would you help us to take a step back and to, and to seek what is good and loving, what is supportive? Lord, lead us into new paths. Ultimately, Lord, we want to be people who reflect your love and your goodness because we, you are making us to be more and more like Jesus each day. Thank you, Lord. Amen.